Nat Chat is brought to you by Walters. Walters is the spot to be this Friday night to catch the boxing match between Gervonta Davis and Ryan Garcia. Price will be $30 at the door for the fight night on Friday, starting at 9 p.m. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. second for Garrett. Two out. Bieber sets. Now his pitch on the way. And a swing and a little looping. A line drive into right center field. That's a base hit. Garrett around third coming in to score. Thomas trying for second. The throw is offline. So Lane Thomas legs out a double. He drives in Stone Garrett who led off the inning with a double. And the Nationals lead by the score of two to nothing. Now the 2-2, swinging a ground ball to short. Abrams has it. He'll throw to second for one and on to first for the double play, but this will score a run. Straw will cross the plate, and it's 6-3 Guardians. It'll be a 1-2 on the way, swinging a fly ball. Center field, not deep. Straw moving in. He has a great arm. In shallow left center, he makes the catch. Garrett's going to try and score. Throw coming into the plate. The tag. He is out of the call at the plate. And we'll see if the Nationals challenge. Smith was signaling safe. Davey Martinez has his hand up. After review, we had blocking of the plate. The run scores, and the runners from second is placed to third. Well, Nationals win the challenge. The game is tied. Straight up in the infield, the pitch. Swing and a line drive through the right side, a base hit right field. Abrams scores from third. Smith to second, and Joey Manessis has given the Nationals the lead with his second end of the day. And welcome to Nats Chat for Monday, April 17, 2023, along with MassInSports.com Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman, who was at Nationals Park. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi Podcast. Well, we now are essentially one-tenth into the Nats' regular season, 16 games into the 162. The Nats are 5-11. and 11. That would put them on pace to a mere 50-win season. But they, on Sunday afternoon, had a terrific win, a 7-6 win over the Cleveland Guardians at Nationals Park to avoid a three-game sweep. The Nats in this game overcame a 6-3 seventh-inning deficit, as yes, the Nats scored in the latter innings of the game. The Nats for the game hit totaled seven runs, 13 hits, and three walks. We had a bunch of big plays in the game, a bunch of big moments in the game. The Nats ended up having a bunch of heroes in the game. I tell you, Mark, this game on Sunday afternoon was reminiscent of when the Nats were good. This was a fun game, There was a lot to this game. This was a game that made you feel alive if you're a Nats fan. 
Well, yeah, starting in the bottom of the seventh, it did. Prior to that point, this felt way familiar. And you're thinking, are they really going to do this again? Take an early lead, give it back, and then just shut down offensively. And to their credit, they did not do that this time. They mounted some rallies late to get back in it. And then that bottom of the eighth, that was good stuff. That was electric baseball. And to me, the best play in the sport is what we saw there. Bang, bang, play at the plate, game on the line. That's as exciting as it gets. And for once, they got it. They got the call to go their way. They finished the deal after that with the go-ahead hit, and then they closed it out in the ninth without a whole lot of drama, and that was a good, solid win. And I'll tell you what, they earned this, okay? We've talked about they've played a lot better brand of baseball here, and yes, they've been on the losing end. I'm not trying to say they deserve to have a winning record or anything like that right now, but they deserve to win at least one game like this because they keep putting themselves in this position and they finally delivered now with the game on the line. They did. They came through. Dare I say, the Nats were clutch in this game. Now, this was not a clean game. There was some real sloppiness in this game, but you know what? You take what you get and uh, what you got was the Nats win on Sunday afternoon. So the bang-bang play to which Mark referred was sort of like bang-bang, lengthy delay, and then you had your run. But Lane Thomas in what was a Nats two-run eighth inning, a one-out RBI sack fly, to tie the game at six. Scoring on the play was Stone Garrett. More on him momentarily, but Stone Garrett on that play initially ruled out. Davey Martinez astutely and successfully challenged the play as it was ruled that the Guardians catcher Mike Zanino illegally blocked the plate. Now, one of the things that I like about replay challenges in baseball is that you can challenge multiple things. So on this play, Davey challenged A, whether Zanino was guilty of an illegal block, and B, whether Garrett was safe. It may well be that Garrett was safe. It was hard to tell watching the replay. But because Zanino was guilty of the illegal block, well, that superseded whether Garrett was safe or not. And so the Nats ended up getting that call to go their way. And then Joey Manessis, who still has not homered, but does have four singles over the last two games, he came through with a big hit. He in that two-run eighth, a two-out first pitch, opposite field, RBI single into right field for a 7-6 Nats lead. But this was not a game in which it was just nothing but singles for the Nats offensively. The Nats in this game, 13 hits. Two home runs were among those 13 hits. Jamer Candelario had a big game, a four-hit game that included a solo homer. And Luis Garcia, who, like Candelario, ended up having a very nice series. Garcia in this game only had one hit, but it was a big hit in a two-run seventh, a two-out, two-run homer to right field off a lefty, off lefty reliever Tim Heron to cut the Nats deficit to 6-5, 430 feet per stat. Because like I said, a lot of different people came through for the Nats in this game. Yeah, and that was especially good to see off a lefty, of course. It was just good to see some power in general from this team. It was a warm kind of summer-like day in D.C., and it was nice to see the ball fly a little bit when they did hit it in the air. Candelario needed that one. He's got three of their home runs now, what, eight homers for the team, and he has three of them. Garcia has two of them. That was all good, but I'm just coming back to the plate, the plate. That, to me, was it. That was so exciting, and it was really... I know we kind of scoff at the term at times, but that was a momentum changer. That was emotionally changed the whole outlook. The Nats were energized when that call finally came through. And I think it helped carry them to continue the rally and finish it off. The crowd was energized by it. I mean, like I said, they needed something like that to go their way. And it's interesting because that ball was only hit 266 feet to center field. That was a shallow fly ball. And when 
Stone Garrett took off from third. I'm sure I wasn't alone in thinking like, oh no. And when he calls him out, you're thinking, did they really just run themselves into a critical out and end the inning and they're still trailing? And what would the conversation be like if that had held up? Thankfully, it wasn't. They were very aggressive. Garrett did his job. And because of it, now they can actually celebrate a win. Nat Snap, a four-game losing streak, get a win before an off day. That's always a nice thing. As the Nats, by the way, continue to play American League teams, this really is something. We haven't talked about this yet. The Nats just concluded a stretch of six consecutive games against AL teams in the Los Angeles Angels and the Cleveland Guardians. Next up, a two-game series against the Orioles. And then after that, a three-game series at the Minnesota Twins. And remember, the Nats' second series of this regular season was a three-game series against the Tampa Bay Rays. This is bizarre. I mean, you would think that the Nats are like auditioning to switch leagues here, pull a Milwaukee Brewers and uh, transition from one league to the other. It's been an odd season, no doubt. It's been a frustrating season, no doubt, but really nice win for the Nationals on Sunday afternoon. So I mentioned uh, Jamer Candelario. He ended up having a really nice series. Candelario over the three games in this series, seven for 14 with a home run, two doubles and four singles. Mentioned Manessis. He has uh, two hits now in each of the last two games. Luis Garcia ended up having a very nice series with a couple of home runs, including the big one on Sunday afternoon. Lane Thomas ended up having a nice series. Lane Thomas in this game on Sunday afternoon was the Nationals' leadoff batter, as Alex called, did not start the game, although he made a key defensive play late in the game. But Lane, two for four with an RBI double, another double, and an RBI sack fly that we just talked about. You know, I think if you had to say who has been the Nationals' most consistent hitter this season, not that there's a lengthy list from which to choose, but I think that guy is Lane Thomas. He's been kind of a steady Eddie for the Nationals. And boy, have they needed someone like that. It feels like every game he does something good. He gets on base. You know, Friday night, he had another outfield assist. You know, he hasn't been like great, but he's been solid, which sometimes matters more than being great because being great can also come with struggling at times too. I agree. And he's done it from multiple spots in the lineup, leading off, hitting seventh. I think he hit second at some point there along the way. And for him, that's a big deal because he was very streaky last year. When he was good, he was very good. When he was bad, he's pretty bad. And those lasted for weeks at a time. So he came into this year saying he wanted to get off to a good start and sustain it and not go through those peaks and valleys. So I think that's a great sign. I think he's played excellent defense in right field. That catch in the ninth inning was huge, as was Alex Call's catch moments later down the line in foul ground. Had just come in to replace Stone Garrett for defensive purposes. It was a sloppy defensive game earlier, but they came through with the plays when they needed them. It was just nice to see all those things come through in the right moments late in games because it felt like this game could have slipped out of their hands very easily, <laughs> and it did not, thankfully for them. And now they can actually you know, go and enjoy this one heading into an off day. Those two great catches in the top of the ninth. Catcher Mike Zanino leading off. Right-handed hitter with power. First pitch swung on, hit in the air to right field, shallow toward the line. Thomas coming in, coming in into a slide. He made the catch. He made the catch. So Kyle Finnegan, scoreless top of the ninth, the first out of the inning, a nice sliding forward catch by Lane Thomas on a first pitch fly ball off the bat of Mike Zanino, and then the second out of the inning. Here's the set, now the pitch. Swing and a fly ball left field toward the line, call on the run, into foul ground against the side wall, he made the catch, up against the railing! Call, like Mark said, had just been put into the game for defensive purposes, and the purpose was served. Call crashed into the sidewall. Uh, while making the catch of a fly ball off the bat of Will Brennan. That is one of the tougher plays for any outfielder to make. And we've seen Lane Thomas in center struggle to navigate plays on which he has to go back toward the center field wall. 
But that might be even trickier. It's a ball in foul territory, which like in and of itself is difficult. You're approaching the wall. And, you know, it's not just like a fully padded section of the wall. There's like a railing there, too. You have to think, too, about am I going to fall into the stands? We've seen that happen in the past. So there's a lot on your mind when you're trying to do that. And Cole had just been put into the game. So in theory, like he's not warmed up. He's not, you know, feeling the game necessarily. But what a job by Alex Cole to make that catch. And on top of all that, he's right-handed, so it's a backhanded catch. <laughs> Maybe the left-handed left fielder would just kind of stick the glove out. This he had to reach for the backhand play. Yeah, that was outstanding. And I know if he doesn't make the play, it's just a foul ball. But we don't know what's going to happen the rest of that inning. Uh, as we saw right after that, you had the little dribbler by Miles Straw that Finnegan played well and just a tick late to get the throw to first. So you don't know how that's all going to play out. So yeah, I, those were two kind of secretly really important plays at the end of the game to not allow the Guardians to take any momentum back that the Nationals had just seized from them and allow Finnegan to close it out. So yeah, there's a lot of players you can go down the list and say they contributed to this win. And that's nice to see because they haven't always had that. Are we going to include Victor Robles on the list for that sack bunt to get the guys in scoring position? We can, although Robles to me had a spotty series defensively, and he in this game had another spotty moment. I mean, I, you know, it's 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 hard to say, like, did he really and truly botch the play defensively? But Robles, I don't know. He, look, it was good to see him get on base a few times in this game. I was happy to see that. But he did not play a great center field in this series to me. No, you're right. And I'm saying this a little bit sarcastically. Also, I know how much you love the bunt, even down a run in the eighth inning. I I was kind of cringing at it too, because if they do get the call at the plate, then we're saying, well, they just gave up an out on the bunt in addition to the uh, plate, the plate. No, no, Robles kind of reverted a little bit in this series. Not a good thing, but he did get a hit. He did draw a walk. He stole a base. So tried to do some little things to help them win a game and most everybody in the lineup did something, whether at the plate or in the field, to help contribute to this one. Hey, are you a law firm partner stuck on an underperforming team while the rest of the competitors are spending big and winning big? Well, unlike Mackenzie Gore and Kate Ruiz, you have options. You don't have to stay on your 60-win team. Nat's chat sponsor, Mason Kalfis, and his team specialize in placing partners and associates at medium-sized and large law firms in Washington, D.C. and across the country. Mason Kalfas has recruiters in six states and has placed lawyers in more than half of the 100 largest law firms in the United States. While you may be reading doom and gloom from the legal press, many practices are red-hot antitrust, IP litigation, white-collar litigation, finance and direct lending, and healthcare. Even in the quote-unquote slow first quarter of 2023, Mason Kalfas worked with three different lawyers who doubled the compensation their previous law firms were paying those lawyers. Because you are not under a CBA or team control for six years, in fact, staying at a firm too long is often a recipe for being underpaid. Explore your options today with Mason Kalfas. He is Scott Boris-like when it comes to law firm partner contracts, and Mason Kalfas will negotiate you a new and better contract today. Call Mason today at 202-486-3535. That number again, 202-486-3535. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. 
Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. And I told them, hang in there, you know. We'll get you some of my bats. All these other guys, you know, Alex has been doing great up at the top. You know, Lane is, Lane is getting his hits. You know, I'll figure out a way to get you in there. So today was his, is his day. You have heard the name Stone Garrett be mentioned multiple times already on the show. So I don't know if Davey listens to the podcast or not, but Stone Garrett finally was back in the Nationals lineup for this game on Sunday afternoon. So he had not appeared in a game. Forget about hadn't started a game. He had not appeared in a game since the previous Sunday. The Nats 7-6 loss at the Colorado Rockies on Easter Sunday. Garrett, in that game and the previous game, a combined 6-for-10 with a three-run homer, two doubles, a two-run single, and two other singles. We went in-depth on the last installment of the podcast about what exactly is going on with Garrett, why he had not been playing. But sure enough, he was out there as an ad-starting left fielder and number 7 batter for this win over the Guardians on Sunday afternoon, and he was productive again. He went 2-for-4 with a double and a single. Garrett, in an ad's one-run second, a leadoff double to left field. Garrett in the Nats, two-run eighth, a first pitch opposite field leadoff single through the right side of the infield. And, of course, he scored that all-important run on the Lane Thomas sack fly. My favorite moment from Davey Martinez's postgame press conference, he early in the presser got asked about Stone Garrett. And Davey, within like three milliseconds, transitioned to talking about somebody else. I don't think Davey wanted to be talking Stone Garrett, at least early in the presser. Now, later in the presser, Davey was complimentary of Stone and talked about him being faster than perhaps people realize. But I got a kick out of that. What stood out to you about the way that uh, Stone played today? He played really well. They all did. I mean, they all battled. uh... Davey, I think, is probably annoyed by all of the people who've been clamoring for Stone to be back out there. But he was back out there on Sunday afternoon, and he was productive once again. He could run a little bit. I mean, I've seen him in spring training. I saw, you know, he got back to the base. He was ready. He was on time. Man, he, I mean, he had a great jump. It was awesome. Well, I don't know. Did we guilt trip him into starting him? Would he have started this game otherwise? Davey would probably try to insist that he would have. And he said that was, you know, a good matchup for him against Shane Bieber. Good for him for coming through when he needed to, when he got the opportunity. And We'll see what happens now come Tuesday and Wednesday against the Orioles. Do you find a way to get him back in there? And if so, 
who was on the bench. You know, Manessis had a good game and delivered in the big spot to drive in the winning run. Dom Smith did not have a good game. Are you going to sacrifice defense at first base in exchange for Stone Garrett's bat? That would be a pertinent question there. I don't think you're going to sit Alex Call for a second game. Lane Thomas, like we said, has been pretty consistent. So I don't know, but there will be a lot of attention on that lineup that comes out Tuesday and whether or not Mr. Stone Garrett is in there. Well, Davey has a day to contemplate what he's going to do from a lineup perspective. So out of all of the wackiness from this Nats win on Sunday afternoon, maybe the wackiest thing is that Patrick Corbin had the best of his four starts so far this regular season. Now, you know, what exactly does that say? Patrick had not been very good over the first three starts, but I thought Corbin actually was decent in this game. He ended up allowing four runs, two earned in six innings. He only gave up five hits, uh, three doubles and two singles. He had four strikeouts versus no walks, and he threw a good number of strikes, 94 pitches, 61 strikes versus 33 balls. Now, Corbin himself did commit one of the Nats' three errors in this game, but all four of the runs off Corbin came in a top of the third in which he gave up three doubles and a single. One of the doubles, by the way, a two-out full-count RBI double by Josh Bell to left field for a 4-2 Cleveland lead. Bell ended up having a huge series off. Again, we can't emphasize this enough, having been horrendous so far this season coming into the series. But I think the thing that stands out the most from that four-run Guardians third was Corbin being failed by his defense. And that's why only two of the four runs were earned. So here's that Victor Robles play I referenced earlier. And a swing and a fly ball, shallow right center, long chase for Thomas or Robles. Thomas into a slide, can't get it, it's by him, backed up by Robles. Zanino trying for second, and Robles' throw is too late. It looked, and maybe from your vantage point, things were different. It looked like Robles had the easier path to the ball, and yet it was Thomas who tried to make the catch and was unsuccessful in that attempt. Then later in the inning, C.J. Abrams with a runner on second, a fielding error on a grounder by Miles Straw. The ball went off Abrams' glove and up into the air. And then later in the inning, Jamer Candelario, as good as he was offensively in this game, he did have a uh, missed catch error on an attempted pickoff throw from K. Bert Ruiz, allowing Straw to score from third for a 3-2 Guardians lead. So, you know, maybe we should file this and put this someplace safe because I don't know how many more times we'll have this conversation. At least to me, I thought Corbin was decent in this game and and the defense, as much as anything, is what went wrong during his time in the game. Yeah, that's accurate to say. Now, I mean, he didn't help himself a lot. There, There were still moments that he could have overcome that to get out of the inning and make it less worse. But to his credit, once he got through that inning, was very good the rest of the way. And we have seen at times, Corbin, when things start to go bad, they spiral out of control. And the fact that he made it all the way through the sixth. And I I was thinking after five, he's at 81 pitches through five innings. And you're thinking, all right, are we going to try to push this and let him go through the sixth or not? Davey let him go and it was one, two, three. So good on him for finishing that out. The defense was sloppy and I don't know if there's a correlation or not, but CJ Abrams had played pretty much flawless and certainly errorless baseball since opening day when he had three errors. That was a Patrick Corbin start. He now had another error in the Patrick Corbin start this time. And I do wonder if for whatever reason, the defense seems to fail him more than others. Is it because subconsciously they're thinking something or just the way he pitches or the way some of those innings drag on? I don't know, but that could have been a lot worse than it was. The uh, pickoff throw at third, Candelario gets the air. I was wondering if maybe he 
wasn't expecting the throw, but I asked him afterwards and he said that the call was on for it. So he knew it was coming. He was just late to get there because he's trying to be in position in case the guy hits the ball. So it was a little bit of a risky play and it certainly cost them there. But I'll give Corbin credit. He minimized as much as possible the damage there and took what could have devolved into a really bad start and made it a quality start, even by literal definition, a quality start, and kept his team in the game to the point they could come back and win. Did you think on the Zanino double that that was Lane Thomas's ball, or should Robles have tried to catch that? I could see Robles maybe having a better angle on it, and usually you'd like to see the center fielder take charge there, but I think it was one of those that either could have, and I don't know if he just called him off late or didn't call him at all. It also was one of those, the way that you know, it fell in and then Victor wasn't exactly in position to retrieve it right away either. That made you think that it was a late call off, whether by Lane or if he didn't even call him off at all. It was like they were both going for it and not entirely sure who was going to take it. Yeah. The thing too about that play was the ball seemed to be in the air for like an hour and a half. Like it was up there for a while. And so you felt like, okay, you do have ample time to position yourself well. And if someone wants to call someone else off, that can happen. But, you know, in the moment, I know it's not always so easy. In, in hindsight, of course, it is a lot easier to dictate it. The uh, expected batting average on that ball, 050. So, yeah, that's a play that needs to be made. <laughs> that says a lot. Yeah. And, you know, Robles, I mentioned this. He had some other issues in this series. The 6-4 loss on Saturday evening, he had trouble playing uh, the Ahmed Rosario one-out triple off the center field wall in a Guardians two-run fit. And uh, he had a, a bit of a boo-boo in the game on Friday night, a, a ground rule double by Rosario that was misjudged by Robles, ended up bouncing over the wall. I mean, that play should have resulted in an out. So, you know, not a great defensive series for Robles, but, you know, overall, he has done some very good things for the Nats so far in this season. Hey guys, it's Al Galdi for Window Nation. Everyone loves a smart investment, especially right now. And there is no better place to put your money right now than in your home. If your home is 20 years old or older, Window Nation has the perfect offer for you. Get 0% financing for five years. This is unheard of. Zero interest for five years. Plus, Window Nation will give you two free windows for every two windows that you buy. Protect and increase the value of your home today. Get this special deal. Call 866-90NATION or visit windownation.com and tell Window Nation that Al Galdi sent you. You can save up to 30% on your energy bills. You can increase the value of your home by up to $12,000 and you can pay zero interest for five years and get two free windows for every two windows that you buy. And this goes for any style of window from Window Nation. There is no limit. Save thousands of dollars on your new windows and then save thousands of dollars on your energy bills, all while upgrading the look and feel of your home. Call 866-90-NATION or visit windownation.com. That's 866-90-NATION or windownation.com and tell Window Nation that you want the deal that you heard about from Al Galdi on the Nats Chat Podcast. Again, zero interest for five years plus two free windows for every two windows that you buy. 866-90-NATION or windownation.com. That's 866-90-NATION or windownation.com and tell Window Nation that Al Galdi sent you. Hey, Nat Chat listeners, Tim Shovers here, producer of the podcast, to tell you about game time. Do you struggle sometimes to find tickets to your favorite events? Buying tickets to these shouldn't be stressful. 
That's why you should look into the Game Time app. It's even harder these days with the lack of paper tickets available on the street. If you're looking for tickets to Nats, DC United, or even the Drake concert this summer, Game Time offers the lowest price guarantee, event cancellation protection, and job loss protection. Game Time is the place for last minute ticket deals. Forget planning months in advance. Game Time has deals on tickets right up to the day of the event. It's the fastest growing ticketing app in the country for a reason. Get images of your seat before you buy so you know exactly what to expect when you arrive. Snag the tickets without the stress with Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use code NATSCHAT for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account at GameTime.co and redeem code NATSCHAT for $20 off. Download Game Time today. Last-minute tickets, lowest price, guaranteed. Nationals fans on their feet. Finnegan to the belt. Runner goes the pitch. Strike three, call! And bang, Zuma Curly W's in the box. A 98-mile-an-hour sinking fastball at the knees. Strikes out the guy you can't strike out, Stephen Kwan. And the Nationals snap a four-game losing streak coming from behind with two runs at the bottom of the eighth inning. A Curly W's in the books here at Nationals Park. The Nats are in the midst of a stretch here in which they do have a good number of off days. They had one last Thursday. They have one on Monday. We'll have another one on Thursday, and then we'll have another one uh, the following Monday. As uh, the Nats continue their quest to try to win the American League pennant, we next up have a two-game series against the Orioles at Nationals Park, Tuesday night and Wednesday night. This is going to be juicy for several reasons. So first of all, it's the you know whole Nationals-Orioles thing. But the two starting pitchers for the Nats in this series, Josiah Gray on Tuesday night, Mackenzie Gore on Wednesday night. And the Orioles are having a very strange season. So the Orioles starting pitching has been awful. So if the Nats are going to catch fire here offensively, you know, and I don't know what that means for the 2023 Nationals to catch fire offensively, but the Orioles starting pitching has been really bad. So this might be a series in which we see the Nats hit, maybe even hit some home runs. But the Orioles' offense has been exceptional so far. Orioles have been scoring a lot of runs. Adley Rutschman is hitting like an MVP candidate. Guys like Ryan Mountcastle and Austin Hayes are doing their things. So this is going to be a stiff test, I feel like, for Gray and Gore. Obviously, we care the most about their starts. They're facing a lineup that has been doing well. How do those guys do over these two games uh, against the O's this week? Well, and we've seen both of them have been challenged so far this year. Look at the matchups they've had, the Braves, the Rockies, the Angels. Uh, So yeah, I'd like to see how they respond. I'd like to see how Mackenzie Gore comes back from what was a bad start for him in Anaheim, where he really lost command all over the place, the first bad start that he's had. Let's see, can he make an adjustment if there is one to be made and go up against a good lineup like that? And Josiah Gray, as always, keep the ball in the yard. Can he do that? Weather's starting to warm up. You've got to believe that some of these fly balls are going to start to carry, and that becomes exceptionally important for Josiah Gray not to give up home runs because we know that's his Achilles heel. But yeah, I'm looking forward to that series. It is strange how many American League teams they're playing. They're going to get to the end of the month, and the only NL East team they will have played is the Braves in the opening series, and they finally get the Mets right at the end of the month. It is strange. This is the new schedule. We felt like all along it would probably benefit the Nationals to play fewer games against the NL East, although most of the teams they've played here so far are contenders or teams that at least believe they have a chance 
at contention. Maybe aside from the Rockies, everybody they've played at least thinks they could be good this year. So it hasn't exactly been easy, despite the fact that they're facing American League opponents. Yeah, the schedule game is so tricky because you think you know who's going to be good and maybe you have a decent sense of that, but you always end up being surprised. And of course, as we know, it's not always who you play, but it's when you play who you play. So is a team doing well? Is a team struggling? Are guys healthy? Are you facing a team's best three starting pitchers? Or are you facing the team's worst three starting pitchers? Like there's so much that goes into that here. But good to see the Nats get this win on Sunday afternoon. Real quick on Joey Manessis. So, you know, we've seen this happen with guys in the past, right? Guys who are known for hitting homers. And I know with Manessis, you know, he's known for it, quote unquote, based on two months at the end of last season, but still without a home run. I've got to think that that weighs on his mind. Now, what you almost know is going to happen is whenever he hits his first homer, he then is going to hit like five over the next four games. Like that's almost always how it goes with people like that. But man, it it is odd. 16 games into the season, I mean, he's not hitting for much power at all, but no homers. That that's um I mean, it's going to change, you would think, but that is peculiar. Like how many people would have bet on that 16 games into the season? Right. I mean, we my colleagues and I had a prediction of, you know, who's going to lead the team in home runs this year and most of us said Joey Manessis and most of us had him with at least 20, if not 23 or even 25 homers. Now, I thought it was interesting he did say after the game I was asking him about this He likes the fact that he's going the other way and having success with that. And he thinks that's actually the best sign for him. We know he's not just a power hitter. When he was really going well last season, he was hitting to all fields. And if they were going to pitch him away, he could take it the other way. So this may be one of those cases that a week or two from now, we look back and say, we actually saw the signs of him coming around when he started hitting singles to right field. That then could turn into some power to right center field and then ultimately pulling the ball for power to left field. A long way to go until he gets to that point. But it reminds me of Ryan Zimmerman in his heyday. He'd be going through a slump and you'd say, okay, when's it going to happen? When's it going to happen? He'd start hitting the ball a little bit to the right side. Say, okay, that's a good sign. Start driving it to right center field. And you knew it was only a matter of time. All of a sudden he's turning on balls and crushing them 400 feet to left field. So maybe Joey Manessis has that kind of pattern in him. So he was encouraged by the way that even though he knows he's not hitting the ball in the air and hitting it as well as he can, that he is still contributing and he's doing it with uh, some opposite field singles. Yeah. uh, Juan Soto uh, would do that too, where once he went the opposite way, he would tend to catch fire. I mean, if you go by the StatCast data, Manessis's barrel percentage coming into this game on Sunday was actually higher than his barrel percentage for last season. His hard hit percentage for this season coming into Sunday was actually higher than his hard hit percentage for last season. So there's an element of uh, some bad luck here as well. You tell us what you think. Hit us up on Twitter at Nats underscore chat. You can email the podcast, Nats chat podcast at gmail.com, including if you would like to sponsor the show, email Tim Shovers again, natschatpodcast at gmail.com. Check out our new website, natschatpodcast.com. You can listen to previous shows, also can contact the show, and you can order great Nats Chat Podcast merch, including a terrific Nats Chat Podcast t-shirt. Again, the website, natschatpodcast.com. If you're listening to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify, please consider giving the podcast a five-star rating. If you haven't yet done that, uh, you can rate podcasts on both Apple and Spotify. The ratings help us out a lot. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. Thank you to Tim Newmark for the Nats Chat podcast music. Visit timnewmark.com. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi. We thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat podcast. And now House sends one to center field. Long run, Zach Cole can't get there. It's off his glove and one hops away.
Two runs will score. House rounding second. He heads to third, and with a slide, he is safe. A two-run triple. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m. and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com